This is episode 43 with Dr. Brent Hogarth. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer turned personal trainer and coach. Each week, it is my goal to bring you a unique story of an elite athlete's mindset to help you unlock and discover your life's potential. Today, I sit down with Brent Hogarth, a sport and clinical psychologist and the head coach at Flow Research Collective. Brent works with all kinds of athletes and peak performers and gets them in the headspace to be their very best. If you have no idea what the heck I'm talking about when I mention flow state, that's the acclaimed zone that we all are seemingly chasing. Brent explains it in way more detail and more importantly, how we can have more of it in our lives. So please welcome him to the show. I'm super stoked to have you on here. Pick your brain, obviously. Um, you have a lot of experience that I don't have and that I want to have <laughs> in my life at some point. Um, you categorize yourself as a flow state expert and you specifically help people and athletes, CEOs kind of hack that flow state. Yeah. What exactly is flow and why is it something that we should actively seek out into our daily lives? Yeah, great, great starting question here. So flow is those moments in life where we become completely absorbed into the moment, often performing and feeling at our best. We know it often as the zone or locked in, unconscious, uh, runner's high. Essentially, it's a state where, a psychological state where we shift from our conscious, explicit brain, from the f- moving from our frontal cortex to more shifting to our unconscious or what's known in the psychological literature as our performance system. So this is where time seems to speed up or slow down. We feel like we're overcoming some of the greatest challenges in our life, but it feels effortless. Um, it feels like thing, you know, our action and our awareness are merging. So we become one with the sport or the activity we're doing. Uh, that sense of self-chatter quiets down. And essentially flow is a state where we shift from the conscious to the unconscious, get hit with a ton of performance-enhancing neurochemicals, dopamine, norepinephrine, serotonin, anandamide, and endorphins that just accelerate performance and, and ultimately can get the best out of us. So the research, you know, why we want flow, uh, research suggests, suggests there's amplified productivity up to five times as productive for executives when they're in flow state. That means, you know, they come in Monday, If they get flow all Monday, they can perform as much in that one day as they do the whole week. So there's amplified productivity. There's amplified creativity. You know, in a world like we're in right now where there's constant new challenges, we're needing to innovate and adapt on the fly. The creativity that people get when they're in flow is uh, such an attractive factor. And then finally, uh, improved decision-making and well-being. Um, obviously we know when we're having to learn on the fly, if we're able to take in more information and learn more effectively, uh, a flow can help us do that. So whether you're a, a corporate executive, uh, a, a corporate athlete or a professional athlete, or even, a, you know, someone who takes care of the home flow can offer, um, a lot of benefits for, for those to just get the most out of their life. Yeah. I think that's super well said. And I think if you've never experienced flow, um, or it's kind of like this mythical thing, right? It's this like super special land where, like you just said, all those things come into play and you're like, wow, that sounds awesome. Um, I was fortunate as an athlete myself through college and stuff. I would like to have said I've experienced flow definitely at um, some levels. And what kind of, what are the stages of flow 
for those who aren't quite familiar and like how do you build from one to the other to not ensure that flow state actually happens but maybe make it a little bit more likely yeah i mean first of all you make a great point we you've certainly experienced flow in exercise and, and we've all experienced flow in many places you know it's uh, our brain has evolved um as a result uh, or has evolved to experience flow it's how we've survived it's how we've adapted it's how you know our species has been able to achieve all the great feats that we have if we look at you know all olympic athlete performances if we look at great innovative feats whether in music the arts uh in in in, in business often there's a flow state behind them and you know even for the day-to-day -day person whether you're in a deep conversation with someone whether you're driving in your car whether you're gardening or even doing the dishes you know you can experience micro flow states day-to-day -day and and so often when we talk about flow or think about it we we conceptualize it as these macro flow states kind of experiencing these kind of superordinary states of consciousness but we also can experience it in the mundane uh, tasks uh, in our day. So, um, with that all said, uh, you you asked, you know, what are the stages of flow? And that's a good question because we can think of flow as kind of this light switch we turn on and off. But a, a better way, like you've kind of set up here, is to think of it as stages and and how do we do well at each stage? So the four stages that the Flow Research Collective that we teach is the first stage is the struggle stage. So this is where you need to be able to learn to struggle, recognizing in high performance, uh, suffering is not an option. So the ability to struggle well, to have that growth mindset, that grit, and to persevere in the flow, uh, in the challenge is, is so important. Following the, the struggle stage, it's the release stage. So after you've, let's say, struggled with a task you're wrestling with at work, how do you step away from it completely? so that you can, when you step back in, have your neurobiology in a state where you can be optimally uh, engaged. And, and so the third stage is flow, as I mentioned, and the fourth is recovery. How are, you, how are we continually to active recover throughout our day so that we can experience flow, not in, uh, you know, as, as a whim, but as a result of providing our neurobiology with the needed recovery so that it's optimized, it's recovered and able to be fully engaged. So we look at flow as struggle well, release well, flow well, and then recover. And we actually, as I train athletes or corporate athletes in, in flow, we look at how to set up their day so they can have multiple flow, uh, flow, um, struggle, flow stages. So we go through cycle multiple times and uh yeah it's quite an art form it's certainly a science to it but there's an art to it as well yeah it's funny you broke it down to the micro i always looked at it as the macro i mean for a sport like swimming or like track and field you go through what's a taper period you have that struggle of um like a, a bulk of your training season and that taper period is that release that recover or i guess release period and then you have the flow state is actually, hopefully, actually your performance at that big conference meet or whatever that meet was. And then you have a week or so off as a recovery, completely forget about it, learn what you could from that performance and then kind of reset. I've always thought of it in that macro perspective, but it is interesting that you get into it, into the micro day by day and multiple flows throughout the day as well. Yeah, so at the Flow Research Collective, we're all about, you know, our mission is to, you know, have our neurobiology work for us and not against us. So we know that, you know, when we're starting a new task for the day, let's say learning a new skill in your sport and you're in that struggle stage, 
our brain waves are um, more in, uh, kind of beta. So it's a high intensity. There's cortisol being released. So it's it's that initial struggle, and and it's that's a, a kind of a big shift uh, from flow to when you're in that uh, neurobiological state. So that's why the release is so important. You reduce the cortisol, you get a release of nitric oxide, which improves creativity, decision making, and and then so you can step back into the flow activity. So yeah, it's you can look at it the the macro is you know kind of the the path of mastery going through it uh, in that way, but also the the micro and day to day. How do you apply that cycle? Yeah, right. I think just of those two stages, the release and the recover, the two that are often most overlooked. Yeah. I think people nowadays really struggle to fully release from whatever that task is. That's it's always on their mind. Their phone is always on them. You know, like you don't take that time to to free the mind and set yourself up to actually experience flow. Is that something mm-hmm. that you found has been a big inhibitor to people trying to reach that that state? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, you know, the, and the release can be something quick, you know, it doesn't need to be something that takes up too much time. It could be a a five, 10 minute walk, a mindful walk. It could be, you know, often, I think we all know a a hot shower can be a great release. You know, that's where often those creative insights can come when you're just completely disconnected from the challenge at hand. Um, The release piece is something that in a world where we're constantly inundated with the this hustle mentality and having to put more hours in to accomplish our tasks it can feel quite paradoxical to step away from it and and to perceive that one is going to be more effective on the on the back end but that's a great you know mystery of life is you know and the great benefit of flow training is you realize that you know the struggle stage is a good thing because you know on the back end is flow so when we can, you know, accept that and struggle well and then step away from it, uh, that's where the magic happens. So, yeah, absolutely. Release and recovery are, are the two kind of uh, fundamentals that in our eight-week training program, Zero to Dangerous, we kind of focus the first four weeks on, on all about prioritizing that. Mm-hmm. I love the name of that, that training period, uh, by the yeah. way, Zero to Dangerous. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, what it, what defines a flow trigger? What are some triggers that um, we can look for in our day-to-day lives that have been known or researched to show or just, I guess, make flow a little bit more likely to happen afterwards? Yeah, so good question. So all the flow triggers, what they do is they they bring us to the present moment and they reduce our cognitive load. So in order to shift to that unconscious mind, reducing the amount of thinking and decision making so our cognitive load is is fundamental and so all the flow triggers do that they reduce our cognitive load they bring us to the present moment and so here are a few kind of key flow triggers the first that chick sent me high identified who's kind of the godfather of flow was having an optimal balance between our skill set and the challenge at hand right so flow often occurs when our we're facing a big challenge and we have skills that we've highly developed when those two are in balance, that's when you know we're able to fully engage in the task and, and kind of get swept away with it and experience flow. So making sure, breaking down our tasks so that there's uh, an optimal uh, challenge skill balance is one important flow trigger. A few others are autonomy. I think this is an important one for all of us to think about as we create this new world in, in business for us where how can we have control of our schedule and ultimately control of our attention? We know that when we're driving the bus, when we have autonomy, we pay more attention. When we pay more attention, 
we get more flow. So flow follows focus. So training to have a sense of autonomy. And that means, you know, having a discussion with bosses, colleagues that say, you know, yes, this is the task that we need to accomplish and give me some control over how we're going to accomplish that. That means there's more ownership, more mastery that's going to be achieved in it and more flow. So autonomy is a good flow trigger. Another one is, is having immediate and relevant feedback. So when we talk about the challenge skill balance, we need a way to know that, you know, this balance is optimal moving forward. So as much as we as we can develop systems in our life where we're getting feedback from others that is immediate and relevant to the task, that will keep us more engaged. So one one cool kind of technique and simple is doing a nightly to-do list. So as we move throughout our day, as we cross off that task, we get immediate and relevant feedback indicating, okay, we're on task, we're completing it. We get a little bit norepinephrine, dopamine kick every time we tick that off. So immediate relevant feedback, whether it's through a to-do list, whether it's through speaking with a loved one or colleagues and, and really communicating what is the most helpful feedback for me is important. A few other kind of fun ones is novelty. I'm sure, you know, maybe traveling at some point in your life or going through a new neighborhood, all this novelty, it, it, it makes us pay it fucking attention, right? And so that paying attention drives us to, to get flow. So novelty is a good one, rich environments. Uh, we often talk about in flow uh, having a, uh, how, do, how do I say it properly? Um, having clear, specific goals. And, and so why this is so important is we often, when we think about goals, we have outcome goals. But in order to accomplish the task, like you know, in sport, you can't think about the outcome you want to achieve mm-hmm. as you're, you know, engaged in the task. You, you, we got to focus on the process. So having very clear process day-to-day goals are another good uh, flow trigger. So I could go on and on about them, but those are a few. I was about to say, during my research, I know there's at least 20, and it's funny, I was going to ask you to narrow down your top five. And I wasn't counting yeah. all of them, but I'm pretty sure you gave me five there, so... Let me let me add one more. Let me add and a couple more specifically for group flow because I think I've kind of talked for individual flow triggers and and the one other one I would uh, highlight is is risk. So we know that when when there's risk, whether it's you know for certainly physical risk works, but if we're talking taking social risks, to look more on the group group side. So what is group flow? You know, if you've ever gone to like a, you know, um, a live jazz band or a live, you know, musician where people are just improvising or even uh, like a play, uh, when people are doing improvisation, they're in group flow. And so they're building off of each other and they're, they're flowing in a way that, you know, it's what they produce is greater than the sum of the parts. And I think in business, that's all that every manager and business owner wants, that people are connected and creating something bigger as a result of them all working together. So a few really good flow triggers, you know, some of them are similar to individuals. So you want, you know, shared goals, equal participation, uh, equal risk. But there's a few other fun ones are, you know, having this mentality of, uh, yes, and so you know if you go to uh, 
uh, improv and someone says something and makes a joke and the other person that they're on stage with just says yeah no that doesn't work like the conversation doesn't go anywhere but if they're, they're like yeah and you know this and this happened and the person's like, yeah, and you know and then this exploded and we went there like, you know you just build off each other so this yes and material or, or idea of not saying no to ideas can help build off them a couple other ones is you know helping cre people create a sense of familiarity so when we have familiarity with each other in a group in a business there's some of those unconscious norms and um, ways of being become more pronounced and people can kind of uh, communicate more effectively be more attentive to each other and provide some of that feedback that can keep us engaged so those are a few uh, ones that I think it's important to also recognize that um, we want to get that blending of egos and group flow that can get us uh, so much farther as a business or team or what have you. Yeah, no, I love that. And it's super reaffirming and just honestly cool for me to hear you say all that stuff because it's like, oh, those are all little things that I was doing in either my life or with the people that I work with. So it's cool to get that reaffirmation there that we're on the right track. Yeah. Um, through your years of experience, kind of, do you have any go-to strategies, maybe one or two? um that you use with people to try to get them to that flow state yeah uh, <clears throat> so my dissertation specifically looked at how mindfulness can facilitate flow mm. so certainly a mindfulness practice and yes we could talk a formal meditation practice but you know obviously any moment is a moment to practice being present in the moment so i'd, I'd say training up focus and concentration is, is absolutely fundamental um, a few other flow triggers, uh, specific practices. Gratitude has been shown to to be a flow trigger. Part of what that, why that is, in my understanding, my hypothesis is, when we connect to gratitude, we're connecting to a state of a humbled state, and we quiet the ego, and therefore, again, more easily to shift to the unconscious when our ego is not kind of yelling and screaming, "What else I need?" But kind of in recognition of all that we already have. Um, so gratitude is a good one. Mindfulness. We all know that um, exercise-induced flow is, uh, is one of the easiest and most common ways people experience flow. So being deeply embodied, so whether that's connecting to one's breath, connecting to one's felt sensation, going for exercise, all of those are you know, probably one of the most immediate ways to experience flow, and that's why that term kind of runner's high is, uh, is so prominent. Um, a couple other ones is as far as kind of scheduling one's day, it's it's absolutely fundamental that we have deep uninterrupted focus time this means 60 90 minutes at least once a day where there's no cell phone distractions no one knocking at your door you know we talk about it at the flow research collective being able to have a sign on our door that says fuck off i'm flowing you know like that's mandatory if you can if we can mind, uh, mitigate those distractions it's you know, we get just constantly dis distracted and pulled out of uh, being in the present moment and being able to find flow. So all of those distraction managements, whether it's social media apps, emails, you know, chunking those into specific times a day when we engage with them and not allowing ourselves to think we need to respond to every text message, every email as it comes in are a couple of really key kind of principles that we try to train up in, in flow. Yeah, the chunking of time of tasks has been a huge help for me in the past few years. Yeah. Um, I remember when I first actually took my the coaching job that I have now for a summer swim team. Um, my first year, like I was responding to every email that I got within like five minutes and the parents loved it. They were like, this is awesome. Like Corey's on top of his shit. Like this is great. 
And then as time went on, I was like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm killing myself trying to always respond to this email. The minute I get it, the minute I get it. And then I started, I started chunking it to like, okay, I check email at like 10 a.m. I check email at 4 p.m. or something. And those are the hours that I take care of whatever problems that come up. And then I can walk away with it and focus on the next task. My overall productivity went through the roof. Mm-hmm. Relationships with some parents, they didn't understand it at first. But when I kind of broke it down as to why I was doing it, they were a little bit more respectful of it um, in the yeah. long run. So it's cool that you guys do a lot of the same thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, our brain is wired to, you know, most of our communication throughout our society has been, you know, in person. So we're used to, you know, it's an unconscious habit or rule that we have to respond right away. So mm-hmm. breaking that and recognizing that we don't need synchronous uh, to, to respond right away is, uh, is, is, yeah, it's a key. And a lot of this is, uh, you know, recognizing that we're working with old uh, software in our brain and, and having to, to battle that, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm definitely wired to the sense of if you text me or send me a message, I'll hold off to respond to it until it's a good moment. But the moment right. I send you a message, I'm like, hey, man, like, Brent, like, respond to me. I need that response like now. Where is it? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I'll say another thing that I work a lot of client, with clients on as far as a flow trigger or facilitating getting to flow. It's a, it goes a little bit deeper than what we've spoken about now, and it's how to relate to our internal experience in a way that doesn't get us caught up in it. So, you know, I talk a lot about, and I'm trained as an acceptance and commitment therapist. And what that, you know, why acceptance is so important is, you know, when we get inundated with um, challenging thoughts, emotions, what we tend to do is struggle with it. It's like, you know, I don't want to feel like shit today. I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to be facing with these, you know, challenging thoughts. So, but what happens when we try to change or control or avoid it, we get more fused with it. We get more stuck into it. And so the ability to have acceptance and awareness of it and, and still, you know, control our behaviors towards what we care about and not get focused on trying to manage this piece um, is is fundamental to having that grit and that resilience to stay engaged. So the ability to have an open uh, and acceptance of our internal experience is probably the, the number one factor that I work with high performers on because um, especially with really intelligent and high achieving people, they're very good problem solvers. And that's how they've achieved to finding freedom and material success. But you can't problem solve your way out of emotions. You can't outrun them. And mm-hmm. so applying that same kind of rule to, uh, to the external world, to their internal world, doesn't work. And so that's one of the, the fun things as a psychologist I get to kind of go deep into. Yeah, no, I love that. And I actually just recently came across a series of TED Talks um, with Shaolin monks, and they broke down what's known as the rain method. So you, you find, you recognize whatever hindrance that you're experiencing, whatever emotion, you accept what you're experiencing. Then you investigate why you're experiencing it. And then you end with a non-identify with that experience, kind of making it a not permanent. You are not always going to be anxious. You're anxious in the moment. You're nervous in the moment, but that's not who you are as a person for the rest of your life. Beautiful. Yeah. So a couple other ways to do that non-identification is, you know, when let's say we experience anxiety, as opposed to saying I'm anxious, one can just say to themselves, you know, I'm noticing I'm having feelings or thoughts of anxiety, right? So that's one way to just 
mm-hmm. to identify to acknowledge it but not identify with it another way is to almost give that train of thought a name right so if i constantly have an anxious kind of pattern giving it a name like that's anxious anxious Andy, whatever speaking that helps me identify it but not get fused with it and i think what you know part of what buddhism is so the foundation of a lot of buddhist teaching is is not to attach with an inherent sense of self right so that's kind of what you're talking we're talking about here and part of how act looks at that is by identifying with a sense of self that is a process and a continual process and not the contents of our consciousness so you know not identifying with the thoughts the feelings the emotions but the the actual observer of it the context in which all of that content arises is um kind of how in western science we've adopted some buddhist philosophies no i love that and now i mean we could dive into that for forever um but i want to touch on this and in my experience as an athlete with you said exercise induced flows one of the more common states and i totally agree with you um I found that flow came more naturally to me when I was in a routine and I was familiar with kind of what was going on around me. The more familiar the environment was, the more routine my habits were, the more likely it seemed that flow was going to come. Kind of COVID recently, I feel like has flipped the entire world on its head. Routines are out the window. There's nothing um, the same for a lot of people. Do you have any tips to people out there kind of on how to still get into flow despite all that is going on around us? Yeah, no, great, great point and very true. Um, First of all, we know that when we can get into flow, there's a carryover effect that impacts our performance and well-being outside of that flow activity. So whatever is one's kind of traditional high flow activity, whether it's exercise, sport, conversation, we want to double down on getting some of that. So that's the first thing there's there's some of those activities for me it's certainly running where i get to experience the most flow it's really important for me to prioritize that the second piece is to like you said create structure in this new unpredictable world and you know it sounds cliche but it's so important that we start by creating kind of order to the chaos first within our our domain that we live in you know first with making the bed you know, first with, you know, doing our, our, our daily routine um, and, and not leaving things undone. We have all these, you know, open feedback loops in our life that, you know, tasks we need to complete, what have you. And as much as we can limit those and close those through mastering our own domain and then mastering our relationships and then, you know, and master is probably too strong a word, but, you know, bring order to our relationships. And then we can try to make it influence in our in our you know, corporate world and in society as a whole. So starting with ourselves and then starting with our environment, uh, proximal environment, and then moving out is, I think, an important aspect of of getting more flow in times of chaos. I would also say that, um, you know, it's, again, it's an individual process for each person. So there's not kind of one path. And so I certainly, and I never try to tell people how to live their life because that won't fucking help uh, because then they're just going to feel coerced to doing something. But what I would emphasize is clarity of values. You know, so if we're, if we're clear of our values in our North star, when those internal experiences arise, when we're confronted with the chaos of life, as long as we can have acceptance of that and reorient to ourselves towards taking some 
level of action towards what we most care about, we should be able to get some reward and some engagement and hopefully flow in that area. And so I would say values clarification is uh, another really, really important piece there. I love that. I think having that, whatever those core values are for you as just a, a grounding rock that you can kind of turn to and kind of bring you out of whatever rut that you're facing, whether it's you're feeling some anxiety because of there's some uncertainty in the world right now. Um, having something to pull you out of that is huge. And, and you mentioned earlier sleep, you know, sleep and recovery. So uh, whether it's uh, make prior, you know, we talk about getting eight hours of sleep. What that really means for people is they need to be in bed for nine hours, right? Like mm -hmm. most people think they're just going to fall right asleep and, and get that sleep, but it doesn't happen. So, you know, in order to win the day, it starts the night before. And so prioritizing sleep is, is you know, one of those unconscious habits that uh, are fundamental for sure. Nothing yep. new, you know, but I know that that morning routine starts in your night routine. And it's amazing how just one bad night's sleep kind of throws that all out of whack. You're a, you want to get to bed earlier. You know, it's, it's a cycle, a cyclic thing. And the more routine, strict routine you can get the better. My friends always make fun of me for how early I go to bed. Um, but it's because I'm up. To bed? What's up? What time do you go to bed? I'm usually eight thirty, nine o'clock. Um, wow. I'm up at around four, four thirty most days. So that's what I know I need that gets my mind right. And I have enough time in the morning to get myself right before I start working with other people, which I think is a huge corner for me to turn to. When you, when you start your day, do you, so we know that self-control kind of discipline is, is like a muscle, right? And so we have it's the strongest in the morning. Do you tend to take on those kind of highest, hardest goals first thing in the morning? Or how do you – I'm just curious, yeah. Um, I try to get into my day a little bit um, before – you know, like I take care – like it's, it's a shower, it's a eat breakfast, it's meditate, you know, it's move around a little bit, and it's my commute to work. And then I knock out. I teach a boot camp class at usually around 6 a.m. So I teach that. And then it really just depends on my day isn't structured essentially to knock out those hardest tests earliest because honestly, I'm not going to get much work done prior to 6 a.m. having to teach class. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Brent, I just want to say I appreciate you. This is really fun um, chopping up here and we could go on and on about flow state and things that work. I want to ask what is next for you and where can those listening in kind of keep up with you and find out yeah. what you're doing next. Cool, man. Yeah, it's been fun for me, Corey. I appreciate it. Let's, let's do it again sometime soon. You know, <clears throat> what's next for me is a podcast on the dark side of flow. So that's one thing we haven't really jumped into at all yet, but there's this piece where flow can become so addictive that it can take over one's life and we can find flow in in things that aren't uh, really meaningful and, and leading us towards what's most important. And so um, my dissertation was on the dark side of flow and this could be addiction in, in anything, but video games is a common one. Uh, it could be finding flow in, in even doing crime. It can be finding flow in areas that are putting us 
at such high risk that we're risking ultimate failure, which is, you know, in action adventure sports, accidental death. So, you know, we talk about flow, we've talked about flow, but the bigger picture here is self-regulation, right? Our ability to consistently move towards what's important and flow is just one piece of that. So what's next is uh, I'm writing a book uh, that's converting my dissertation into uh, a book on the dark side of flow and I have a new podcast coming out uh, that people can check out uh, soon. If they go to my website, brenthogarth.com, you can check out some more information, sign up for uh, the podcast as it comes out. You'll be first to be notified. And, and on my website, people can also sign up for a free uh, kind of initial consult if they'd like to just learn more about flow and see if I can be helpful. And then most specifically, check out flowresearchcollective.com. Check out our online eight-week course, Zero to Dangerous, and, and, and you can apply if you'd like. It's a super badass course. I truly think it's you know one of the best, if not the best, on online mindset training course. And on social media, um, Brent, uh, period, T for Thomas, period, Hogarth is my Instagram. And you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn and all that. And uh, yeah, Corey, man, I'm stoked to connect with you. And uh, I'm looking forward to kind of chopping you up as we as we move forward here. Yeah, man, a hundred percent. Like I said, I appreciate it. And how's your leg, by the way? You mentioned dark side yeah. of flow. I just remembered about what a month ago or so. You kind of hit yeah, that. Yeah, pulled my hamstring a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I'm still learning. You know, I'm still learning how to not just you know push in 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 a hundred percent. So it's uh, and that's an interesting piece. You know, we often hear about in sport like letting the game come to you, mm-hmm. and that's. You know, especially in basketball, you often hear like, you know, take your time and focus on defense and not push it. And then what I've realized finally at this point in my life that if I don't jump into my run and try to push right away, if I take my time, you know, those neurochemicals will slowly add up and then I can push it to a level that doesn't exhaust me trying to push right away and I'll get better times. So I think, you know, for all of us, you know, you and me included, the ability to not rush right? And know that if we just stay present and engaged, that the flow is going to come and, and we'll be able to perform at our best is important. And unfortunately, injuries give us a good time to learn that lesson, you know? Hey, I mean, I think you learn and you appreciate what you can do the most when you can't do it. Whether that is because your environment is dictating it, stuff's closed, or you have an injury. I think those yep. are the most perfect times to learn more and more about yourself. Right on, Corey. I appreciate you sharing that, man. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Brent. He gave us a ton of information, and I hope you can better answer what exactly is flow state at this point. This is definitely a topic I want to dive deeper into on later episodes. What are you doing to get more flow into your life? I'm certainly working on being more cognizant of what are my flow triggers so that I can implement them into more of my own routines. If you haven't done so already, send this episode to a friend, family member, or teammate who could use a boost. Stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by following me on Instagram at Athletic Mindset Podcast. Remember, if you can change your mindset and how you think, you'll be able to change your life one thought at a time. I'll see you all next week.